You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. But I'm so excited about this Sunday because our guest speaker from graduation is uh, the founder of the National Center of Life and Liberty, Dr. David Gibbs. And he has been such a friend to me personally and for many, many years, he's been our attorney here for our ministries, over our church, over our college. This past year, I must have called him a dozen times minimum, just making sure that we were doing the right thing, getting some good Christian counsel from our attorney as to how we should, uh, in, in, with, in the right way, with the right spirit, approach the pandemic and some of the things that we were trying to do here. And I believe God helped us through that, but I'm grateful we had someone to call And other areas of our ministry throughout the years, it's been awesome to be able to call my good friend. And I'm excited about uh, the materials he has in the lobby area. I encourage you to get those. He'll have some things to say about that. He did a great job Friday night. He did a wonderful job this morning at the first service. I know you'll enjoy him as we celebrate mothers a little bit more here this morning. Would you join me in welcoming Dr. Gibbs as he speaks to us this morning? Thanks, Doc. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Love you. And good morning. How many here are morning people? Okay. How many believe we ought to round those folks up and make them go somewhere else? Let me see your hand, right? Uh, God has a sense of humor. He lets the morning people end up married to the night owls. And I think that's just for the angels' entertainment. It keeps things entertaining. But uh, it's been a wonderful service. And uh, by the way, how many appreciate your praise team? I know you have a number of praise teams, but uh, absolutely very worthy very worthy. You know, I, I was telling Chloe after the first service, I'll be her agent. We'll go to Nashville. You know, we'll get her a contract. But uh, everybody up there did a great job and uh, fantastic. And, and I'll tell you, if music like that doesn't uh, fire you up a little bit, uh, how many figured your wood is really wet, okay? Um, matter of fact, if you're in church and you see somebody that doesn't look blessed, pinch them and make sure they're breathing, okay? We want to make sure that uh, somebody didn't die and forget to fall over. That can happen in church. So it is a wonderful time. And again, happy Mother's Day. Um, I'm like uh, Pastor Capacey. My kids are grown and and doing good things. But when they were little, we had a three-year-old, we had a one-year-old, and we had twins. Four kids, ages three and under. How many believe that house was hopping for a while, all right? Now, they're all doing well, but uh, as parents, how many have ever had that moment where you wanted to murder your own kid? Have you ever had that moment? You know, even on Mother's Day, we can be honest, right? You know, they're just that time, and, and the twins were little. They were about four, and they're riding in the car, and Danielle, the little girl twin, makes this big declaration out of the back seat. She says, I've only got one mommy, but I got two daddies. And for just a moment, this comment troubled everyone, (laughs) trying to figure out what the little girl was talking about. Well, you might guess she was referring to her heavenly father. But here's how she said it. She said, I got a heavenly father, and I got a homely father. (laughs) So it was Danielle's homely father. Uh, It is certainly a delight to be here. 
Um, very much enjoyed uh, Friday night. I know a lot of you wouldn't necessarily be here, but the champion graduation, uh, great students. And, and by the way, uh, let me just give you a little word of encouragement. Uh, how many believe champion is doing a great job across the nation and even around the world? Um, absolutely. Uh, we actually employ uh, one of your graduates, a 2013 graduate, uh, Ashley, great lady, great employee, but uh, uh, the reputation of this college and what it's doing, and, and it was just a wonderful time of Friday night to, to celebrate uh, what God's doing in the lives of these young people. And uh, how many believe that we need some young people to rise up in this culture? And, and to be that next generation of leaders. And I certainly appreciate Dr. Capace, the board, and others that uh, pour in. And, and we, we had a fun time Friday night, and, and then uh, got to meet with the board Saturday, enjoyed the early service here. And for those of you that are less familiar with what I do, your pastor graciously said, we serve as your legal counsel, uh, the National Center for Life and Liberty. We come alongside, and we partner with the church. You know, my, my ministry is keeping guys like uh, Brother Eric out of jail. So I'm just kind of glad he's here. I feel some success in all of that. You know, it's a lot of work sometimes, but, you know, but uh, with all of that, uh, we have lived through some unusual moments. And, and we think about all the, the COVID craziness and, and what we've gone through. I mean, used to be you'd sneeze and people go, God bless you. Now they're like, murderer, away from me, you're going to kill me. You know, I mean, we, we kind of live in a little different world, right? I mean, I, I grew up in the old, you know, you don't call in, you crawl in world. Well, now if you got the sniffles or you think you might get the sniffles, stay home. I, and we know it's been a little different. But uh, I certainly appreciate uh, churches like this one uh, that have stepped forward and tried to do things excellently and carefully. And we certainly don't want to live in fear uh, but how many believe we ought to be careful and, and not try to unnecessarily spread any um, unnecessary disease or virus or anything like that? And, and I would say this, um, people say, David, when will it just go back to normal? Uh, how many understand sometimes there's just a new normal? We, we, we live in a little different world. And, and so, um, you know, we can look at, you know, things that have happened historically. Um, you know, back in the, the 80s, you know, nobody got sued uh, if a child was injured or abused on campus, and, and it was always deemed as a criminal act, and there's no liability for an organization for a bad actor doing something within the organization. Well, the laws changed, liabilities changed, and, and we now know churches like this one, and, and they do it here excellently, but you have to have child protection policies. You need to make sure that you do background checks and have rules and, and make sure that things are okay and safe uh, for the children. And, and, and by the way, how many believe that's a constant vigilance? You need to be careful. You know, I talked to a church this week, praise the Lord. Um, a lady uh, just walked up and said, that kid's with me. And they asked the little kid, he's like, yeah. And he followed after her. And I mean, she kidnapped him and uh, literally just disappeared with the child. And, you know, obviously Amber Alerts and other things and uh, kind of miraculous. Uh, they found the child 75 miles away with his head shaved. Uh, how many rejoice they got to that child before bad things would have happened. But you just always have to be careful. You always have to be vigilant. Just one Sunday, you just don't even know what might happen anywhere. And, and how many appreciate the fact that this church believes that if a child's safe anywhere, they ought to be safe at church. And so, but we, we, we have child protection. Uh, we've had some shooting events in our country, some uh, acts of terror, whether it's in houses of worship or at venues. And, and we have... Um, 
safety and, and protection, and we think about, you know, what do we do to keep our campuses safe? And I think COVID has opened up maybe a public health discussion uh, where we want to be careful. Uh, how many believe extra cleaning doesn't hurt anything? And, and being just a little more careful and thoughtful in terms of airflow and building design and different things. And so um, I really appreciate your pastor, and, and he and I are friends. We've been friends a long time, and I hold him in huge esteem. Uh, but I also appreciate uh, his leadership style. You know, he always wants to obey the law and do things correctly, but he also says, how do I do it excellently? How do I do a best practice? What are others doing that are doing it right? And how many appreciate it when the pastor and elders are leading in that direction? It gives you confidence that the ministry is in a good direction. Um, I do have the privilege of going to court uh, for churches, and, and we defend cases. Uh, we also work in Washington. Uh, how many believe Washington's a little bit of a mess? How many understand that? Okay. And, and we certainly are honored to be uh, your voice there, and we speak with the White House and the Congress and try to make a difference. We, we've had cases before the Supreme Court. Um, I, your pastor is asking, you know, what's it like when you're before the Supreme Court? Um, well, so you understand there's nine justices, and they're appointed for life, and I don't think the founding fathers ever thought they would live so long. You know, I mean, you know, they were dying in their 30s, 40s, let them do it for life. But, you know, uh, it's kind of like nursing home ministry, actually. You know, I mean, there, there's walkers, there's wheelchairs, there's oxygen, there's life support. You know, you talk about their grandkids, they drool, you hope they stay awake. You know, it's that kind of experience. But uh, nonetheless, we, we try to be a voice uh, in the culture. And then we also try to, uh, again, speaking at graduation, doing radio, uh, media, certainly an honor to be here with you this Sunday and, and to celebrate uh, really what we've been blessed with here in the United States of America. Um, if you picked up an envelope on your way in and you'd like to get our newsletter, uh, just fill it out and turn it in at any of the tables. If you didn't get one, you can snag one in or out. Uh, there's some materials and things there. Uh, if you say, I just have questions or issues, you're certainly welcome to stop by. But for just a few moments on this Mother's Day, um, how many believe we ought to celebrate the fact that we are in the United States of America? And I, I think sometimes, whether it's our history or our heritage, there, there's almost like an apologetic tone, like we, we, we want to be embarrassed. And, and, we're, and we're not saying our, our founders were perfect or that they didn't have flaws or make mistakes. And, and by the way, how many figured out we're not perfect and we have flaws and make mistakes? I mean, that's human existence, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, history, you can always look to good and bad examples, but we were distinctively founded as a Christian nation. And how many believe there's a lot of people that want to eliminate that from our heritage? Um, you don't see this around the world. Um, you know, Muslim nations have a different way of handling it. Uh, if it's a Muslim nation and, and you become a dissident, they kill you, and then that, you know, discourages dissidents, you know. We're in a country where we allow free speech, we allow people to have differing viewpoints, and many want to attack the heritage of our nation. But the reality is if you study our founders, there's no question we were founded as a Christian nation. Now, just for a moment, think about starting something. Your pastor here, uh, he could give you some phenomenal stories of birthing this church, he and his wife, and and the college and different institutions. You know, starting a, a ministry is hard. Some of you run businesses that you started. That's hard. Some of you are in marriages or relationships or, you know, you have that first child and you say, man, we're starting out as parents. And startups are always tough. But 
for just a moment, think about starting a nation. How many believe that would be pretty tough? Let's just go start a new nation. And, and I mean, all of a sudden, like, wow, how would we organize it? What would we do? How would we function? And, and, and this little ragtag group, you know, with God's help, won a war, the Revolutionary War. Nobody thought they'd win. Everybody thought they'd lose. I mean, they were going up against the most sophisticated military in the world, and, and, and they were, you know, motivated. They wanted freedom. They wanted the ability to worship. But there were also some practical issues. Um, they were upset. They weren't being heard um, in England. The, the parliament wasn't listening to them. You know, the Boston Tea Party. Uh, there was a little phrase, you probably remember it from school, taxation without what? Representation. And by the way, how many believe we have that sometimes now today? Okay, and people start to feel like they're not being heard. And, and so they, they were principled, and, and they, they were miraculously, with the help of the Lord and a lot of sacrifice, they won the war. French helped out, we know that, but now they got this new country, right? They won. Okay, you're independent. And they almost fell apart. They started bickering. Uh, by the way, how many believe human beings like to bicker? Some people, that's their spiritual gift. They're just good at it, right? But, I mean, they started, you know, who's going to handle the money? Who's going to have the power? Who's in charge? And, and, and we know from history, the Articles of Confederation didn't go well. There was a lot of dissidents. There was a lot of turmoil. And a lot of people thought that little young United States of America wasn't going to make it. Uh, some wanted to split the North and South, some wanted to go back under England, some just wanted to do their own thing. Lots of tension, lots of stress. And they called what we now call our Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, but the reality is it was an emergency business meeting. They said, we're in trouble. That's really the only way they got them all to show up, because they were all kind of bickering and upset and trying to run their businesses and figure out their tariffs, taxes, and could they change borders. And so they all showed up in Philadelphia, and you know what they did. It, it's kind of neat. They would work, and, and by the way, they prayed, and how many rejoiced that they prayed in the name of Jesus? And, and they, they argued, they debated, but they would draft what we now call our United States Constitution. Shortly thereafter, the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments, many of which are very important to us, but certainly the first one with free speech and a free pass and freedom of religion being so significant even into the modern day. And as they were sending this document that they'd labored over back to the states for ratification, a nervous debate broke out. And the debate was, you know, we didn't do so well under the Articles of Confederation. What are we going to do legally? How, how is this system going to work? I mean, how do we set it up where this thing would move forward with some degree of perpetuity? And, and they made a decision, and I, I want to just tell you quickly on this Mother's Day, it was a remarkable decision. It was a unique decision. It's one you don't see often in history. They looked back at England. Now, now stop right there. That's the mother country, right? That's the country they'd broken away from in revolution. That's the country they felt that had abused them through both the king and the parliament. That was the country that they didn't trust. And they said, we are going to adopt the English common law. You say, David, why? Why would they? That doesn't even make sense. Why would they go back to the mother country? Why would they adopt 
the legal system out of England. Well, it's fascinating if you study the common law, and some of you may know this, but what made it common was it was based on a common source. It was based on the authority of the Word of God. And by the way, how many believe a legal system based on the Bible is not a half bad idea? And so as they wrote this new constitution, they said, we're going to adopt the English common law. We're going to literally bring it over from England, make it our legal system, and we, by this decision, choose to be a nation under God. How many appreciate that decision of our founding fathers? And, And by the way, how many believe God blessed that decision of our founders? I mean, as we look at this nation, we, we look at the prosperity of America, we look at, while even we deal with COVID, how many rejoice the health care, the uh, invention of America, we look at the churches, the, the missionaries, uh, how many believe God did bless the United States of America? But it was a nation that wanted the Word of God to be first and foremost. That's why President Washington, when asked to serve as the first president, said, go get a Bible. And we know that from President Washington up to President Biden, every other president in between has laid their hand and sworn an oath on the Word of God, understanding that the Constitution was written to be consistent with the Bible. And we know that our congressmen, most of them, they used to all be sworn in on Bibles. They now give them a choice. But then our Supreme Court even has a Supreme Court Bible. Uh, You may not know this, the last thing a Supreme Court justice does before they take their seat on the court, they sign their name underneath a phrase that says, I promise to uphold the truth of the Word of God and the United States Constitution. Uh, How many appreciate the fact that we were founded as a Christian nation? But on this Mother's Day, I'd like to maybe just open your mind a little bit and just think about We certainly celebrate our founding fathers. We certainly celebrate all of those that sacrificed, whether as soldiers or as leaders or put themselves at great risk. But how many also understand that in the United States of America, we had some amazing founding mothers of our nation? And it's kind of interesting, in our history books, they don't get quite the attention. And, And there's really... A simple reason why is we, we go back to history. We don't have video. Technology wasn't invented. We don't have audio that wasn't around. And so we're, we're relying on the written records of these people. And many of these women were not given the opportunity to write or to pen down what they had to do or how they existed. But we had many women that were amazing and made the whole victory possible. George Washington had a great quote. He said, you ladies are in the number of the best patriots America can boast. They understood that the women were running the farms, the operations, the businesses, the families, the food sources. They were doing an incredible amount of work, and if if they had not done so, they would not have been able to win the war. But then even the British general, Lord Cornwallis, he paid what some would say an even greater tribute. He said, we may destroy all the men in America, and we shall still have all we can do to defeat the women. How many believe there were some tough gals back then? 
And, and they were smart ladies. They were hardworking ladies. They were ladies that literally paid incredible prices so we could have the nation we have today. I would challenge you as we think about these amazing women that in some ways they exemplified, they modeled Proverbs chapter 31. And, and by the way, how many believe the Proverbs 31 was a remarkable lady? When you look at the work and the industry, and we'll look at some of the verses, but let me introduce you to just a few of them that you maybe haven't heard a whole lot about. Let's talk about Martha Washington, because again, her husband George, we have honors and memorials, and he's on our coins, but Martha was a truly remarkable Christian lady. Um, she was a widow. Um, she had lost her first husband, and then uh, had the premature passing of four children, two of them in childbirth, and one at 17, the other at 27. And so she had had a great deal of loss in her life, and always anchored herself to her faith. Now, we don't advocate this type of legal system, but it was a little more Old Testament-y back in that day that if you were married, the husband held everything. He held all the assets, all the money, all the control, and in some ways, ladies had a little bit of a quasi-property type status. That's not what we would do today, but she, because her husband had died, became all-powerful. She had all her assets. She was independently wealthy. She could literally do whatever she wanted with very little oversight or control because of the position she found herself in life. She met George Washington and decided to marry him, and I would just tell you in doing so, she had to give him everything she had. So she made George Washington wealthier. She literally surrendered all her assets, all her decision-making, all her control to be the wife and support that she felt led to with him. Her daily routine as a woman was an hour of Bible study after breakfast. And then at night, for entertainment, she would read more Bible verses. They would have out loud prayers. And much like we do in our praise and worship, they would have hymns singing. They'd gather around and, and sing and worship. And that was the entertainment of the Washington home. She obviously, due to the wealth that she had brought to the family and what her husband had amassed, could have stayed back. She could have lived a life of ease. She could have been in a situation where she did not have any risk or any difficulty. But she chose to stand by her husband and actually go spend winters with him when he was out at war. And by the way, in that day, how many believe winter was the hard time to be out and about? And so she would literally darn socks, she would make bandages, she would try to do things to cheer the troops and to provide and to care for them. She noticed even one time they were getting a little depressed. They were starting to abandon her husband. They, they were like starting to have unrest. And, and she said, we got to do something to reunite the spirit of the army as they were battling the Revolutionary War. And she said, can we open up the old Christ Church in Cambridge and they said, well, we had to take the organ out. The pipes had to be used for ammunition. That's not going to be possible. And she said, we got to do it. And, and she was the one that spearheaded literally having regular church services, prayers, and opportunities. And many point to that New Year's service at that Christ Church that she led, that that changed the spirit of the army and lifted their morale. 
As she was gathering her grandchildren in 1802 before she would die, they kind of had a little tradition if they sensed death was coming that you would have an opportunity to kind of give last words or blessings before you were to pass. She looked out at her grandchildren, she looked out at her relatives, and she said, always value religion. It is the great comforter of the soul. How many believe Martha Washington was an incredible patriot of the United States and a phenomenal mother? You could look at Abigail Adams. She was the second lady. Uh, we know a little bit more about her uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, she wrote a lot. Uh, her husband, John, uh, was gone a ton. He was into the continental groups and different moments and the congresses, and he was truly a, a, a kind of a workaholic founding father. And so they were in love and cared and wrote a lot. And, and again, many ladies of this day didn't have opportunity to go to school, but she self-taught herself. And, and by the way, how many believe teaching yourself without teachers is pretty tough? And, and became prolific. And, and, and let me just put on the table here just for fun. Uh, how many believe our generation, they're probably not going to go back and read our texts? You know, you look at how we communicate and our little three-letter codes and things. So it, it will be interesting to see what they'll figure out as the history of America. They're going to go, man, that was a dumb generation. They're going to worry about us. But anyway, uh, she wrote a lot of letters. And, and so through the letters, you were able to see her thinking and, and how she would try to improve upon her husband's thoughts. And, and she was really the first one to advocate that ladies should be treated fairly. And by the way, how many believe ladies ought to be treated fairly under the law? She said there ought to be equality. Why shouldn't women be able to vote or have a voice? Uh, she also didn't believe in slavery. Um, so she was constantly freeing slaves and educating them. And she was an early proponent of equality, that people under the law in the United States of America. And, and you know from our history, we had to have a whole civil war before that was established. But the reality is she was an early advocate that every human being should be treated equally in the eyes of God, that Jesus died for everybody, and that they should all be equal. And uh, she clearly was someone that was heavily involved, even to the point when her husband was uh, president. Um, some people would say it critically, uh, but they did not oftentimes call her the first lady. Many times they would call her Mrs. President uh, because she was so highly involved in what was going on but a very strong founding father. Uh, you could look at Dolly Madison, kind of an interesting lady. Uh, she grew up Quaker, and um, she, again, lost a husband early. A Quaker in that day, kind of like the Mennonite, the Amish, kind of plain, um, you know, very conservative in their attire. Uh, but then when she married Mr. Madison, uh, he was a little more contemporary. He was a little more Episcopal. He was a little hipper, cooler. And so she quickly abandoned all the plain clothes and became kind of a fashion plate uh, for their day. Uh, but again, a brave lady, uh, President Jefferson, his wife had died, and so there was no one to host. And so as the vice president's wife, she ran the White House uh, during Jefferson's term in, in terms of hosting. And then for her husband, as the fourth president, did the same but she also was in the White House in the War of 1812 when the president um, had already been evacuated and she was one of the few people still there. And she felt that it was important to guard the president's home, the White House. And she watched from a telescope on the top of the building, people saying, you need to leave, it's not safe. 
And she said, no, we're going to get, and she was the one that ran through the building and got the picture of Washington and saved it, as well as an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Another brave individual that stood for our freedom, our history, and our heritage. Not all of these tremendous ladies were in the White House or in the government. Kind of an amazing lady from our history, Phyllis Wheatley. You say, I don't know that I've heard her name. Well, she was a slave. Teenage girl, early trafficking victim. And just so you understand, the slave trade was a very distasteful, dishonorable. Um, they would go capture, they would go kidnap. It was a horrific industry in this era. And, and, and this girl could have had a bad attitude, could have been bitter, could have been, I mean, as a teenage girl captured from her nation in West Africa and dragged against her will to the United States of America. But when she got here, she tried to make the best of it, and so she began to look and watch the, the women that were in the homes where she served as a, a slave, and, and she began to pick things up and decided to teach herself Latin. And by the way, how many believe that's a tough language to pick up with no schooling? And became very prolific, and then began to write and began to do things, and she got especially good at writing what they would call elegies, which are kind of a poems that mourn someone in death. So they're a little sad, but they would also lift up the individual that was being mourned. And, and she heard about George Whitfield, the great preacher, and, and so she wrote an elegy, and it actually became the leading statement on his death as the whole nation mourned his loss, and that raised her profile even more. And then she, uh, through all of that, it was decided she should no longer be a slave. She was granted her freedom. And then she asked and was actually given the opportunity to meet with George Washington in 1776 and became one of his counselors and gave him advice on how to develop this new nation. She's remembered for many first-time things. She was the first African-American to publish a book, the first to earn a living from her writing, the first to be encouraged and financed by a group of ladies, and a quote that I believe is in your sheet this morning that's powerful she said, in every human beast, God has implanted a principle, which we call love of freedom. It is impatient of oppression and pants for deliverance. God indeed blessed this nation with some incredible ladies that alongside these men sacrificed and paid some incredible prices. And I think a lot of times we maybe forget or don't take the time to actually look and say, you know what, these were remarkable women that literally changed the world and we sit here blessed today because of what they did. I would tell you as they modeled Proverbs 31, there's a few points you could put up on your uh, notes that have been given to you. Number one, these ladies worked hard and cared for their families. And by the way, how many believe women still work hard today? While we're blessed with some modern conveniences and other things, uh, we live in some very, very busy times. And these ladies were there. They kept the businesses open. If these men had gone to war and come back, there could have been literally nothing there. They could have all died of starvation or disease. And, and they ran the whole operation. And, and how many understand there was no Walmart in that day? There was no delivery. I mean, you, you made it or you didn't have it. And so for many things, they, they figured out, you know, how to keep 
uh, clothing and food and necessities, heat and things uh, that they would just be caring about. And so they were very hardworking. Uh, number two, they sacrificed themselves immensely. Many of them died poor. Matter of fact, uh, Dolly Madison, to use an example, after her husband died, uh, no one would, she, they'd invested everything in the, in the war and the freedom, um, literally died destitute the last 12 years of her life. And many of these people knew that they were putting it all on the line. There was no going back. The sacrifices that they put there, whether they survived, lived, or died, they knew that they were risking everything. Uh, Adams wrote to John one day, uh, posterity, who are to reap the blessings, by the way, that's you and me, will scarcely be able to conceive the hardships and sufferings of their ancestors. They paid some incredible prices. Number three, they stood up for what they believed. Uh, There's a famous line that Abigail Adams wrote to her husband, and it's uh, probably her most quoted, and it's simply this, remember the ladies. They said, if we don't have a voice in government, we might rebel and take over, and John kind of laughed at it at the time. But uh, they were quick to stand up for what they believed was right and, and to keep principles and things involved and, and to keep the men from going too far. Uh, how many believe when you're in revolution, when you're in war, things can get out of hand? I mean, an easy example today, uh, how many believe on January 6th, things got out of hand in Washington? You know, things can happen where you just say, wow, that doesn't seem like it's moored. It doesn't seem principled. And, and these ladies were women of conviction. They knew what they believed, but they were very careful. Um, I always say a successful stand has three things. Number one, make sure you are right. And by the way, uh, how many believe it's embarrassing when you're wrong? You know, make sure you get your facts straight. But then also make sure it's biblical. Uh, sometimes people get all wound up about something. It might be a political movement, a personal movement, an ideology. But how many believe it's going to be right? It's going to line up with the Word of God. But then number two, let's do it the right way. How many believe there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything? Uh, we can be pro-life, but how many believe we shouldn't go blow up an abortion clinic, right? Somebody says, oh, that's wrong. You went, well, we're pro-life. What are we doing? You can do the right stand the wrong way, and, and that's where you have to be very careful, even in politics or the contention of our culture. Make sure when you stand up for what's right, you do it the right way. But here's one, and these ladies modeled it. You Number three, do it with a right spirit. How many believe your spirit is your testimony? Um, a mother says to her daughter, you are as dumb as a box of rocks. Now, number one, the mother might be right. Okay, I'm just being honest. The girl might be a little limited. But here's the bottom line. It's okay for mothers and daughters to talk. We'd all agree with that, right? But what's wrong with it? The spirit. You'd say, David, that's terrible. That's verbal abuse. That's mean. That's denigrating. That's going to hurt that girl. That's not going to be helpful. That mother isn't being constructive. And you're absolutely right. But I think sometimes, even in the church world, and and by the way, I love your pastor's spirit. He has a great spirit. I love the spirit of this ministry. But how many believe when you take a stand for something, you got to do it with the right spirit? Because that is your testimony. You know, many people, even in the political realm, they say, well, I like this position or I like that position, but I'm just not quite sure what's, why I feel funny about it. And sometimes it's just the spirit. Uh, how many believe America has gotten a little mean-spirited back and forth? I mean, there, there's families that won't speak over Facebook quotes. Uh, how many believe that's a bad spirit? You know, we need to be careful in terms of our spirit and be careful with what we're doing. 
Um, Another thing they had is they had to fight bitterness and jealousy. These were not perfect people. I'm not here to tell you that they didn't have sins or flaws or that they didn't struggle, that there were times they didn't make terrible mistakes. Uh, Abigail Adams was one that um, when she went into retirement with her husband, she developed a bad attitude, and I'll tell you why. There was no retirement, okay? So basically, they didn't have much money. They'd done all this stuff for the country, and the only thing they got out of the deal was free, they called it franking or mailing services. You could mail for free as a former president. That was your one perk. You could write a letter and mail it off for free. And she was a little mad about that. We did all this stuff. I didn't get anything other than this mail. And everybody makes a big deal about Washington. You know, he was the first president. We were the second. And Jefferson, because he wrote things. And, and Ben Franklin, he was a rascal. He wasn't even all that good a guy. And he's a big deal. And John, you were, you know, you were really in there. You were an anchor. You did a lot. And, and nobody really respects you like they should. And and so she kind of got a little bit of a cranky attitude. And so what she decided to do is she would go recruit her neighbors and say, why don't you write a letter? And then she would give them the little code where they could use John's free mailing service. And she kind of did that just to try to stick it to the postal service. Okay, that was kind of... So the, these ladies had their moments as well. And, and by the way, how many believe we all can have moments? And, and I would just encourage everybody here that... You know, I think we need to watch that we don't miss opportunities to encourage each other. You know, you come to church, you're like, oh, I hope the message is okay. I hope the worship is good. I'm here to get a blessing. Well, could I challenge you? Would you also come to church and think, what could I do to be a blessing? I mean, you hear about an incredible foster mom, and man, I could help with that. Or, or somebody here that might, and by the way, Mother's Day can be a sad day for some folks. There's recent deaths, and there's losses, and there's kids that are wayward, and sometimes holidays are trigger tough things too, and, and people are struggling, and, and instead of being a blessing or a celebration, you could be that person that comes in and encourages and, and says something that would be a blessing to them. These ladies struggled with things just like we do. But then the, the fifth point up there is that they balanced their priorities. Kind of amazingly, all the things that they had to balance But these women were remarkable in getting it all done and balancing what was really important. Barbara Bush, as you know, was a a wife to President George Bush and then the mother of George W. So she was both a presidential wife and a mother. And she got asked to speak at Wellesley College, an all-woman's college, back in 1990. And some of the gals there at the college criticized it. They said, she's the wrong role model for us. She was just a mom. She's just a wife. I mean, she didn't really do anything. She just kind of rode the coattails of these men, and we don't really want her to come. And, and Barbara Bush, as many of you know, she didn't dye her hair. She was kind of a no-pretentious type person. She just showed up. She spoke. But within her speech, she said something. She said, at the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. She continued, she said, you will regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, or a parent. And by the way, how many understand even the little moments 
can be quite important. You know, I, I'm all for big things, and I know we celebrate birthdays or anniversaries, vacations. That's all fun stuff. But a lot of times, big events, if you're fortunate, might be once or twice a year, if that. And, and sometimes they don't come together. And sometimes they don't even live up to what you hoped for. You just expected more, and it didn't quite hit what you were expecting. And, and we want to focus on the big deals, but I'm going to understand a lot of times it's the little moments that make up life. Cindy had had a day. Her schedule was nuts. It was too busy. And her daughter was kind of chasing around during the day, and Cindy didn't have time to see the hawk, the bird that the daughter pointed to outside the window. And anything else that the little daughter pointed at, mommy was just busy that day. I mean, there were a lot of phone calls. As we've all watched in this COVID world, tasks can consume your day, and and they rush through the bedtime routine, and they just kind of hustle along like they had most nights. And Cindy's daughter wanted to give her something, and, and Cindy said, no, not right now. I don't have time. I'll look at it tomorrow. And a little seven-year-old was disappointed, and she kind of mouthed off a little bit. She said, you won't have time for it tomorrow either, and she went into her room hopped in her bed. The door didn't slam, but it was a little abrupt when it was closed, and the husband, the dad, watched all this, and he saw Cindy's face, very discouraged, very frustrated, very overwhelmed. He let it cool down just a moment, and he said to his wife, he said, Cindy, maybe you need to go into the room and, you know, just let's not let her go to sleep feeling all that stress. Cindy went in the room, she found her daughter asleep, and then she saw that little piece of paper that she had wanted to give her. It was ripped, some of it was crumpled, and it had been thrown over into the corner. Cindy kind of opened it up, put the pieces back together, uncrumpled it, and she found a poem her daughter had written, Why I Love My Mother. The little girl had written in her own words, although you're busy and you work so hard, you always take time to play. I love you, Mommy, because I'm the biggest part of your busy day. As you might imagine, Cindy began to cry tears of regret as she thought about what she had done and ignoring that document. She left the room and went downstairs and did what a good mom would do. She made a couple cups of hot chocolate. She made a couple of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. She went upstairs with a little tray of stuff and woke her daughter up who was confused but happy. And as they ate the goodies, Cindy said, this is for you because you are the most important part of my busy day. That little girl sipped the hot chocolate and began to go to sleep with her mom still sitting there, stroking her hair, giving full attention to the daughter because that was the most important part of her day. And I might challenge all of us, not just the ladies, 
But how many believe sometimes we can get so busy that we miss those little moments? The word of encouragement, the opportunity, the attention. And as Dr. Capace and I can tell you, you, you blink twice and your kids are 20 and you blink again, they're 40, and you don't get to blink anymore after that. But life can just stay ripping along and you can miss those moments. These amazing founding ladies in exemplifying Proverbs 31, they balanced those priorities and they found time for what was truly important. The verses of the morning, Proverbs 31, from 25 to verse 31, I read them aloud. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty's vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. As we're almost done with this Mother's Day service, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment and close your eyes. And for just a second, Think about the amazing ladies in your life. The ones that worked and cared for you. Maybe they were family. Maybe it was a foster parent. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was an aunt. Maybe it was a sister. But somebody sacrificed themselves for you. Somebody made sure that you had something to eat, a bed to sleep in clean clothes, they changed you, they bathed you, they loved you. Then maybe as you got a little older, you started talking to teachers and and pastor's wives and others that started to mold you and sharing what they believed. You probably didn't see it because you got all the love and the good end, but some of these ladies had to fight bitterness, jealousy, discouragement, depression. But they work day and night to do what the ladies in this room have done. They balance their priorities. They were there for their kids. They were there for those they cared about. They were there for others. They didn't miss the little moments. Heavenly Father, I come before you now. And Lord, as we're thinking about the amazing ladies that have touched our lives, thank you for America. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for the nation we have. Lord, forgive us for almost ignoring these amazing female patriots that oftentimes get ignored when we think about our history and the prices they pay. Lord, thank you for the marvelous mothers, wives, sisters, friends, relatives, neighbors, church members that have touched all of our lives. 
On this Mother's Day, could we celebrate them? Could we thank them? Could we encourage them? In our own feeble way, could we show our love back to them? These are amazing people. And Lord, you love them, and you'll give them perfect heavenly reward, but Lord, we want to honor them on this earth. Lord, I pray any hurting hearts would be encouraged. I pray any lost souls would be drawn to you today. And Lord, I pray on this Mother's Day that we'd have a spirit of love and unity among the families and among this church that you would be blessed. For it's in your great and matchless and wonderful name I pray, and together we all said, amen. I'm going to ask if you would stand to your feet, and the praise team is going to lead us in just a moment. Um, You have an opportunity if you'd like, if you'd want to join the church. What a great church to be part of. You could come forward. If you want to get saved, there's elders and others up here that will talk with you. But as the praise team leads us, Lord, I need you.